We're looking at Matthew 21, which is on page, strangely enough, 21 at the back of the church Bibles. It's the time when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, normally a passage that is read at Easter time or Palm Sunday in particular. But the series that we're going through at the moment is about Jesus, and today we're looking at Jesus the prophet. And all will make sense when I read the very last line. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them. And he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and then that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Imagine the scene. It's 1936. And you're standing in the village of Wanstead, near Walthamstow, North London. Around you are thatched cottages, beautifully maintained gardens, and there's not a car in sight. All you can hear is the chatter of the birds in nearby trees and hedges. Suddenly you hear voices, but there are not words from these parts, and you struggle to make any sense of what they are saying. Who are they, you ask? And the reply is, oh, they are the Jarrow marchers. It's a group of about 200 men, poor, ragged, tired, dirty, and on a mission, walking from Jarrow in Tyneside to London, carrying a petition to the British government requesting the re-establishment of industry in the town following the closure in 1934 of its main employer. Palmer's Shipyard. Picture another scene, 1900 years before that. A strange group of people make their way towards Jerusalem, following a man riding on a donkey without a saddle. Who is this? Ask the locals. That is the people of Jerusalem. And the crowds, that is, those who have come to this city from afar, reply, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And you sense that this would be the kind of impression that Jesus left, like that of a northerner in a tidy southern village. Tyneside to me is another country far off, another language. Why I, man, is not my usual. Yes, I agree. The prophet Jesus from Nazareth 
in Galilee. Galilee, like our North Country, to many Southerners, is like a different world. You see, by using the term, the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee, it's not the same as saying, oh, it's Barry, the minister of Amesbury Baptist Church. No, they're actually saying, it's one of those weird Galileans, and he's a kind of prophet. In Matthew 21, verse 11, the writer is informing us of the strangeness of the scene for those present. But we need to understand the story behind this. We need to go back to the prophets of the Old Testament. To us, these people spoke the words of God to their times and ours. However, most had an uncertain reputation in Israel. In fact, some refused the title for that very reason. They weren't what we would call in a professional term clergy. No, they were herdsmen, or perhaps civil servants, who God had happened to call. And where often they were accused of being liars. Some were accused of being mad. Isaiah is recorded as preaching naked for three years around Jerusalem. Don't worry, I'm not a prophet. Towards the end of the Old Testament period, it seems as though things had got from bad to worse. Or perhaps some had lost the plot, as in Zechariah, we read, if anyone appears again as a prophet, his father and mother who bore him will say, you shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. In his book, Theology Through Preaching, Colin C. Gunton writes, think of that, kill your child rather than him become a prophet? It was to be according to this prophecy, a fate worse than death. It's widely thought that Zechariah is signaling the end of prophecy, and perhaps this explains why there was no prophet for 400 years. So when Jesus appears on that first Palm Sunday, it is not all clear to those who were there. As when Jesus' followers were first called Christians in Antioch, it was not as a compliment rather a mickey-taker. Calling Jesus a prophet was aligning him to be a dropout or someone far from respectable. We even read in the gospel that Jesus' own family did not believe him. In Mark 3, 21, we read just after Jesus appointed the 12, and just before that he healed a man with a withered hand, his family went outside their family home to restrain him, for people were saying he has gone out of his mind. Can you imagine that? Your own family doubting and questioning your sanity. I remember aged 18, telling my parents that I had become a Christian. The response at the time was, be careful, son, don't get too religious. Wind on 30 years later, I remember at my ordination, they were very proud of me that day. For a moment, return to Zechariah's comments. Prophecy had been discredited, and a prophet, not a respectable person. So what Jesus did was upsetting, unsettling, not just for the religious leaders of that time, but for his own 
family. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee, an odd man coming from an odd place. From the perspective of those there on the day, it must have seemed strange. And yet, as we see Jesus entering into Jerusalem in glory, on a donkey of all things, a sign of peace, and like a horse if for war or victory. But for the observer, it would have been strange or unclear as its meaning. And to who does Matthew quote in support of his interpretation? None other than Zechariah. And he questioned, does he suggest that with the coming of Jesus, that true prophecy is alive again? As for the people of Jerusalem, what they suggest is, it is a weird man from the north, a kind of prophet, but one whose significance is yet unclear. For us to understand this, we must consider something else. Now, while the Gospels occasionally depict Jesus as a kind of prophet, which clearly he was, but he's more in the way he spoke. You see, he bore close resemblances to the Old Testament prophecy. Now, the Gospel writers make Jesus say that John the Baptist represents the end of the old era, in a sense saying that the law and the prophets are until John. After him comes Jesus, the one who brings in something entirely different. Jesus is not only a prophet, but the very agent of God's work. We see this in the epistles and other New Testament books, where Jesus is not described as a prophet. Yes, we read of prophets in the church, especially in the book of Acts. And Paul gives us instructions about prophecy used within the church. But of Jesus, it is rarely said. Have you ever wondered why? Why was Jesus not referred to as a prophet? I believe it is so that there is no misunderstanding who he is. Jesus is more than a prophet. So what is a prophet? Someone who speaks the word of God. He is aware of what God wants to be said and what will happen if no one listens. Yes, all this is true of Jesus. But not only does Jesus speak the word of God, he is it. Jesus is the word. And we have to hear what he teaches and act upon it. He is more than a prophet. But let's go back a bit. Prophets in themselves, like us, are human, full of weaknesses and failings. If we were to consider just two, we can see their differences. Jeremiah was passionate and wayward, resisting almost to the last gasp God's will for him, regarding himself as press-ganged into being a prophet. It was almost as though he was fighting tooth and nail not to be a prophet. Where on the other hand, Ezekiel is seen as passive and in danger of being proud to be called a prophet. In Ezekiel 24, verses 15 to 18, God tells him that his wife will die in the evening. And when she does, he goes back to be a prophet the next thing in the morning. With Jesus' relation 
to his father. It makes him neither rebel nor robot. No, he's not drag protesting to work. There is a wholeness and amalgamation to this person. With all other people, we can say that they have done something out of character, but not with Jesus. No, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. He was what he said, and he said what he was. A prophet, but more than a prophet. Perhaps the nearest we read of Jesus as being a prophet is found in the first chapter of Revelation. But here he is spoken of in his risen glory, and not as he was on Palm Sunday. Like a true prophet, he speaks the direct words of God. He says, Now write what you have seen, what is, and what is to take place after this. However, we are not looking through the eyes of the crowds on the way to Jerusalem, but with eyes of faith. And that takes us to the heart of what it means to say that he was a prophet. It is said that there is a long tradition which is stressed in the Reformation pioneers that Jesus fulfills the major offices in the Old Testament. He is prophet, priest, and king. John Newton wrote, my prophet, priest, and king, in his hymn. But how are we to understand this role as a prophet? What does it mean? Our story gives us one clue. A prophet is someone who essentially tells what is going to happen in God's dispensation. The world is full of prophets. And I don't mean ones who say we are all doomed or the end of the world is nigh. No, we, we are told of what computers will do in the future, what climate change is doing to the world, of what plastic is doing to our oceans, of what smog is doing to the people in Delhi. Sometimes these prophets are right, and sometimes they are grossly wrong. So in a way, modern-day prophets are discredited like they were in Zechariah's time. And as we have seen, the people of the time were not too sure about Jesus. He was a prophet, all right, but that did not give him credence or respectability. Jesus himself was asked to prophesy. Sometimes he refused. And in Mark 13, 32, he claimed ignorance, saying, this is something which the Son does not know only the Father. What it means to us is that only his cross and resurrection finally confer on him the right and the title to their fullness. It is a risen and glorified Christ, and he alone knows what is to come. Now write what you have seen, what is, and what is to take place after this. For the crowds, as we have seen, he is an, amb an ambiguous figure. For us, he is the only one to whom we should listen. For only he knows, and only he can say, and he gains that right, having gone through the trial, crucifixion, and resurrection. And obedient, in being obedient to his Father, he shows us that he is the one and only true prophet, the one who is from and to eternity the word of God. 
And he shows us in the heart and mystery of salvation that this odd man from Nazareth in unfashionable Galilee is the saviour of the world. The crowd says, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. But God the Father says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. For he and he alone has the words of eternal life. Do not believe it is a coincidence today that we remember the ones who have fallen, who gave their lives for king and country. And today we hear about Jesus who gave his life as a means for us to obtain eternal life. The question is, have you in return given your life to Jesus? And do you know him as prophet, priest, and king? Amen.